our desire this morning that he would rain down, not just in a building, but may he rain down in each and every one of our lives, each and every one of our hearts. And may we be willing to allow him to change us in his presence. Amen. As I, as I walked out the door, I saw a friend of mine I wanted to welcome, Brother Warren Smith, Jeff's dad. Wonderful to have you here with us today. Amen. Any, any other visitor that's in our midst, we pray that you'll feel welcome this morning. Let's go to him in prayer now. Our gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, Lord, how we love you. Lord, that's our desire this morning, Lord, to express to you, Lord, how thankful we are for what you've done for us. How thankful we are, Lord, for the opportunity you've given us to gather with believers of like precious faith and enter into your presence. And I'm just asking, Lord, now that you will move and speak in a special way. Lord, I'm asking that you'll just take control of this vessel. Lord, anything that you don't want spoken, may you control it. And Lord, may it come out in the spirit in which it was gave, Father. Lord, in no way to attack anyone, Lord, but just to stand and defend the truth today, Father. Lord, we love you. We ask you now to take control. We ask you to be with all those that are out traveling. And be with Brother Timothy and Brother Tim, Lord, and continue to use them, Lord, in the services that they're in. Lord, and we now commit this service to you, Lord. And I commit myself to you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. It's wonderful to be in the house of God this morning. If you have your Bibles, we want to get straight into the word and ask you to turn with me to Deuteronomy 19 and the 14th verse. And we'll go from there. We'll also read Deuteronomy 27. Amen. As you're turning, it's just, you know, it's that time of year where a lot of people are out, a lot of people are traveling, and we just want to remember them as they do so, Brother Tim and Brother Timothy, as we said, and some have gone to support Brother Jeremy Shriner's meeting, and we're just, we're thankful when people have the opportunity to do those kind of things, and we just want to, um, we're thankful when those churches come and support us, and so we also like to lend our support as much as we can to their meeting, so I pray that the Lord will be mightily with all those on the road and bring them back safely to us. Amen. Deuteronomy 19, verse 14. We're going to speak to you a little bit today on defenders of the landmarks. Defenders of the landmarks. The word says here, Thou shalt not remove thy neighbor's landmark, which they of old time have set in thine inheritance, which thou shalt inherit in the land that the Lord thy God hath given thee to possess it. In other words, the landmarks that were set up indicated what belonged to you. And for you to go and move a landmark was to take away from your brother's possession. It was to take and, and you pushed it a little bit this way and it took away from him. And you moved it a little bit this way and it took away from him. And the Lord saying, do not touch thy neighbor's landmark. Chapter 27 and verse 17, they're in the same book. The Lord shows us how serious he is about this. Cursed be he that removeth his neighbor's landmark. And all the people shall say, amen. Amen. You can have your seats this morning. Pray that God has added his blessings to the reading of his word. We're also going to read in one other place, a very familiar scripture in the book of Jude, the first chapter in the third verse. Something that we're all very familiar with, but it's going to be the, the cornerstone here of our message today. It says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you. In other words, I didn't just do it because I wanted to. This was needful. This had to happen. 
It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. Looking here at this verse, Jude instructs us to contend for the faith that was once delivered. The way this, was, this is worded would, would allow us to see and show us that things, that all, things have already begun to slide a little bit from the way they were established. The relaxing that we know of that took place in that age has already begun. And because Judas pointing back already to a faith that was once delivered. In other words, he's making a difference between how we're living right now, the things that people are holding to right now, versus what was delivered only a short time ago. And he's pointing back and he's saying, you got to contend for what was once delivered. He's pointing on back, and the word contend here means to strive or to vie in contest or a rivalry or against difficulties. Church, it's not going to be easy to stand for everything that we believe in. It's not going to be easy for us to, to, to contend for the faith that was once delivered. But he's saying you have to do it. It's needful that you do it. Things are changing. Society is moving in a certain direction, and you got to be willing to contend for the faith that was once delivered. Brother Branham would say that the only way to know what faith we are to contend for is to look back to what Jude is speaking of. Okay, now this is just 33 years after Pentecost and Jude is a Christian. We know that. And so he's not pointing back to some Levitical law. He's not pointing back to the faith of Abraham. He's not pointing. He's pointing back to the upper room. He's pointing back to the day of Pentecost. Brother Branham says he's pointing back to the inauguration of the church there on the day of Pentecost. He says, now, if we can find out that he says, remember, this is just 33 years after the inauguration of the church at Pentecost. 33 years later, there's been such a falling away till Jude here under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is sending letters to the churches to earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. He says, now, if we can only find out what kind of faith the first saints had, then we can find out what kind of faith to contend for. Now, we find this to be the truth. A lot of people have the contend part right. There's a lot of people willing to stand and fight for things. There's a lot of Christians out there willing to stand and fight for what their church says is the truth. There's a lot of people marching in the streets and contending for their cause. But he says, if you know what to contend for. In other words, they're hitching the, the, their mules to the wrong wagon. They're, they're putting the contend part up. But what is it we're to contend for? The faith that was once delivered exactly the way it was delivered. He says, but we must remember what kind of faith it was. Now, let's just think about, oh, well, the first thing a person ought to do, the first subject, the first thing we must do is repent. The disciples taught repentance, water baptism, divine healing, resurrection of the dead, manifestation of the power of the Holy Ghost, signs, wonders, spoke with tongues, interpreted tongues, cast out devils, healed the sick, opened the blinded eyes, saw visions. Is that right? Well, this is 1900 years later. We're still contending for the faith that was once delivered and God is confirming it. So if what you're contending for doesn't do that, if what you're contending for doesn't preach that, you're not contending for the faith that was once delivered. He says now, he also promised that there would be a restoration of the faith. 
We read over in Jude, he said, earnestly contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints. Now we're promised in Malachi 4, by the same system that he always did, that he would restore back to the original faith. Oh my, back to the original seed, back to the seed like it began on the day of Pentecost, back to the same doctrine, word by word, power by power, spirit by the same thing, just exactly like it was in the beginning through signs and wonders of the living presence of Jesus Christ. Church, we're not contending today for dead letter. We're not contending today just to have the correct doctrine, although we should. But we are contending today that that word and that letter and that doctrine will produce a living Christ. And it will produce exactly what it produced in the book of Acts. That is what we are contending for today. That it's going to produce exactly what it produced in the first age. Brother Brown would tell us over and over again that if that vine ever put forth another branch, it would write another book of Acts. And that is what we're contending for here as believers today. And the reason that we have to contend for it is because there is a spirit that wants to fight against it. There is a spirit that opposes that faith. Now notice it doesn't oppose faith. Matter of fact, that spirit will promote faith. But it will oppose that faith. The faith that was once delivered to the saints. There's a spirit that's been here from the beginning to rob that faith out of the church. And notice what makes it so difficult to notice is it is a religious spirit. It is a spirit that that will use quotes. It is a spirit that will use scriptures. It is very subtle, but it'll come in and it'll line up quotes and it'll line up scriptures in a way to attack the faith. And it will try to drain the life out of the church. Not try to make you quit coming to church. Not quite, you know, it's not worried about your church attendance, but it's trying to make it to where you come to a place that's dead, come to a place that's dried up, come to a place where the life has been squeezed out of it. But we got to be somebody that says, I'm going to defend my rights. I'm going to defend the faith as it was once given. This place will not dry up. We will not be cold. We will not be formal. We will not sit back and allow the life to be drained out of evening like tabernacle. Somebody is going to recognize this spirit for what it is. They're not going to be deceived by it. And they're going to stand against it and contend for the faith. You know, we're told in the, in the, in the word that it would be so close that it would deceive the very elect if, if it were possible. It does my heart good to know that it's not possible today. That the elect will not be deceived in this age. But she will stand against that antichrist spirit that's trying to come into the churches. Not only will she withstand it, but she will overcome it in this day. The word says to him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me. That tells me somebody's going to overcome. That tells me somebody in this age won't be deceived. Somebody in this age is going to stand against it. Call it out. Fight against it. And attain their promise. Somebody's going to rapture. It might as well be me. It might as well be you. See yourself in the word and say I'll take that. I'll stand for that. I'll have that. I will defend the landmarks. There will be a bride on earth that has been restored back to the original faith by Malachi 4. 
And when he comes, she's going to be found operating in that faith. And in so doing, she will be producing what that faith produces. There's going to be life in her church. It's not just going to be some dead church that's coming to service after service, nothing happening. It's not going to be a, he's not coming to marry a corpse. But his bride is going to be alive. There's going to be life there. There's going to be healing there. There's going to be salvation there. There's going to be deliverance there. There's going to be overcoming there. There's going to be a life producing what that faith produces. There's going to be people still being filled with the Holy Ghost. There's going to be people receiving a refilling of the Holy Ghost. There's going to be outpouring after outpouring. There will be victory in her. Hallelujah. I believe that. And not only that, not only will she have received, but she will be found defending that faith. She will be found standing for truth. She will be defending the landmarks that God has put in place for his people. Amen. Let me come out of this. Amen. Defenders of the landmarks. Now, faithfully holding to these ancient landmarks allows us to contend as Jude commanded us to contend because we're still holding to what the word said hold on to. It allows us to contend for the faith that was once delivered. And as we said, many cannot contend uh, uh, in the way they should because they don't know exactly what it is they're supposed to contend for. Okay, the fa- the, this faith though, it, it's not something that's in question. This faith is an established faith with clear definitions and timeless standards. That is the key, and that's what messes man up, is man don't believe in timeless standards. They believe that it can be changed with society. But these standards are timeless standards, discernible boundaries, biblically well-defined landmarks. Landmarks are a very important part of the land that we have been restored to. Because landmarks um, indicate boundaries. They indicate ownership. They indicate what is yours. What belongs to you. They indicate where it is that you will be blessed. In other words, you are to possess everything that's within those boundaries. Everything within those landmarks. But don't go down to Egypt looking for your blessings. Don't get out of the promised land. Don't go outside of where the boundaries have been set up for your life and for the Christian life. Yeah, take everything that's yours. Possess more. Take this. But know where the boundaries are. Know where the landmarks are. Because you're not going to be blessed outside of the land that God has given you. And you also don't want to settle short of entering into that land as we've dealt with before. But where God said for you to get, get there. Where God said for you to go, go there. What God has given you to possess, possess it. Don't be found standing there going, I didn't know what to do. The landmarks are clearly defined. What you're supposed to possess is clearly defined. What is yours is clearly defined. And if you don't take it, God's not going to say, I'm sorry, I didn't make it clear enough. I didn't define enough. Oh, I'm sorry. I sent you a message that told you what to do, how to overcome, where to get, where to go. I say, get there. And when you get there, defend it with all you are. Stand there with all you are. Don't back up. Don't back down. Don't get in we can't give in it's too late to give in it's yours but you got to possess the land Amen. 
as you go about claiming what is yours and possessing the land, you have to also be prepared to defend it from attacks. Because there's going to be those that come and say, that's not yours. You can't have that. No, 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 that's not for us. That's for another age. That was for another time. The days of miracles is past. The days of salvation is over. The lamb has left the mercy seat. There's no, there's no mercy for anybody else. There's no grace for anybody else. He's no longer interceding. And yet the word says something different. The word is clearly defined that those are things that I can have. The word says that those things are mine. I don't know about you, but I still need healing. I still need deliverance. I'm still holding on that the lamb's on the mercy seat because I got loved ones I'm going to see saved. I'm going to see saved. I'm going to see saved. And in order for that to happen, there is mercy. There is grace. There is salvation. I believe that with all my heart. Don't you dare let people put that in another age and say he's off the mercy seat. I need mercy every day. You need mercy every day. Our loved ones need his mercy. And I say they'll have it. I'm believing for that. I'm willing to stand today and defend my rights and defend your rights to every redemptive blessing that Jesus died for. I'm going to stand there and defend it. Some say we believe in being converted. We believe in accepting Jesus Christ as personal Savior. We believe him as Son of God, virgin born. Yes, sir, that's all right. All those things, that means you have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. When I say, what do you think about divine healing? Praise the Lord. Shouting all the miracles and signs and gifts back in the church. Oh, well, that was for another age. Just exactly what the Holy Spirit said would take place. The Holy Ghost said they'll have a form of godliness, but they will deny the power thereof. He said, from such turn away, for this is just like Janus and Jambres that withstood Moses. Listen, the landmarks are not to be moved. Cursed is the man that moves the landmarks. If the word established something, it is always established. It's not up for debate because your church don't see it that way. That's not how landmarks work. It's not up for debate because it's no longer acceptable in society or because the norms of society have changed. Listen, God established those landmarks. He said, I could have it. I'll have all that he said I could have, but I'll also understand not to step outside those boundaries because if he said something's wrong, it's still wrong. If he said he didn't like something 2,000 years ago, he still doesn't like it. He's not like you and I. He's Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change his mind about his word. Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight. It says, remove not the ancient landmark which thy fathers have set. Now notice, he's not talking to the people that set them. This happened generation before, maybe more. So the landmarks don't change generation to generation. What's right don't change because there's a new generation. Remove not the ancient landmarks which thy fathers have set. The next generation didn't get to decide where the boundaries laid. 
And neither do we get to decide where the things in God's word get to be changed or moved. That's not for us to decide. The landmarks were set by God and we have no right to move them even a little bit. They were established in God's immutable and unchanging word. His boundaries do do not drift or change from one generation to the next. If it was wrong when God said it, it's wrong today. If God poured out his spirit one way in the Bible, he pours out his spirit that way today. If the disciples had to be filled with the Holy Ghost then, you have to be filled with the Holy Ghost now. If it produced signs and wonders and tongues then, it will produce signs and wonders and tongues now. It does not change. Cursed is the man who moves the landmarks. Because heavens and earth may pass away, but my word shall never pass away. Remove not the ancient landmarks. The landmarks and the boundaries of society, as we said, are ever-changing. Constantly moving. And if we as Christians aren't careful, we'll allow that mindset to bleed over into our life. Things that you never would have done when you first gave your heart to the Lord suddenly, eh, I mean, yeah, maybe that's not such a big deal. But what it is is the smoke from the bottomless pit is constantly infiltrating everything. And even us, even us become affected by the smoke. Now we fight against it. We don't let it overcome us. But it will jade you and affect your thinking and affect the way you look at things if you are not careful. You have to be aware of what's going on. As a matter of fact, not only do we have to recognize it, but we have to constantly fight against it. The the problem with the first age was they were aimed at and relaxed. We can never become relaxed. I want to tell you this morning, if you're relaxed, if you're sitting back and all is good and I'm part of the bride and my salvation is secure, hey, maybe all those things are true, but you better wake up. You better wake up and quit being relaxed. You better draw your sword. You better get ready to fight. You can't slumber. What meanest thou, O sleeper? You have to wake up and recognize that you're in a current going the wrong way. There is a stream rushing straight towards hell. It is a strong current. It's society. It's the current of the age. It's the current of the day. And we're fighting against it. And it's a constant battle. And it throws something in a stream that has no ability to fight. And watch where it goes. Watch where it takes you. You can't relax for a minute. You got to fight back. You got to push. You got to say, that's a landmark and it's mine. I'll have it. That's a landmark and it's mine. I'll have it. You can't relax for a minute because the stream's leading straight to hell and it wants to take you there. There can be no relaxing. You have to fight against that current. We're swimming up river all the time. But I'm thankful that we're anchored to a solid rock. A rock that doesn't change. A rock that can withstand the currents. That rock's there. And if you anchor to it, you'll be safe and secure. You got to get to it. You got to push to it. You got to fight to it. That's what happened to society. They loosed their anchor. They pulled their anchor up. You know, for many years, society and the landmarks of society stayed mostly unmovable for many, many years. And so because of that, it produced a relatively stable place of living here on the earth. And it's because society used to look to God. This country used to look to God. And and because of this, things like marriage, excuse me, things like marriage were landmarks. They were landmarks. They were a landmark of society. It was what everybody expected. And things like just shacking up with the person you you liked and and having children out of wedlock 
was looked down upon. But now they have completely flipped to where that is a landmark of our society. That's how society operates. And what does it produce? You know, there was a time where marriage was glorified. There was a thing where, where, where it was glorified and having children was glorified and raising them in the fear of admonition of the Lord. Those things were landmarks. But now I saw a statistic this morning that it blew my mind. It said 75% of long-term correctional facility inmates are from fatherless households. 75% of all people in prison are from fatherless households. It's what happens when you pull the anchor up and you let the current take you where it wants to take you. 85% of kids who have behavioral disorders are from single-parent homes. 85% of rapists are from fatherless homes. The norms that God put in place weren't just there because. They weren't just there because. It's because God knew the beast nature of humanity and what humanity would do without norms that were set by God or landmarks that were set by God. Things that we were supposed to look to. Parenthood was once glorified and now we rage in the streets for the right to kill the unborn. Truth was valued. Now anti-moral propaganda fills our airwaves and our internet and has poisoned the world. It has torn down the landmark of morality, replaced it with the pursuit of lust and personal satisfaction. American universities founded on Christian ideals, most of them. Over time, they allowed men to get in there with corrupt minds and move their landmarks, move what they stood for. At one time, they were actually the center of genuine Christian thought and expression. Imagine that. I'm talking about our universities. Christian thought and expression. And yet they've allowed the landmark stones to be moved over into the bottomless pit of intellectual atheism. Where there is no return from. Allowing the boundary stones to be moved has allowed the whole world to go completely insane. There's no truth in politics. There's no truth in schools. There's no morality. You can't hardly recognize the country that we live in anymore. You can't hardly recognize the world that we live in anymore. Because they pulled the anchor. They walked away from the absolute. They moved the boundary stones that were placed there by God. Listen, a hundred years ago, they could have never saw this. Fifty years ago, most people would have never saw where we're at today. But God knew and a prophet knew. A prophet knew exactly where it was heading. Brother Brown says, let me prophesy something to you. Just before it comes to pass, the whole world is groping in insanity. And it will get worse and worse and worse until there are a bunch of maniacs and it's almost that way now. That's why you can't let the landmarks be moved, even if it's just a little bit. That's why we have to return back to the landmarks and not just return back, but be willing to defend them. Be willing to stand. Be willing to take whatever shame and whatever name calling and holy roller and old fashioned. I don't care what you call me. I'm standing on a landmark. I'm standing on a promise. I'm standing on the word. Call me what 
what you want to call me. This right here backs me up. This is my vindication. This told me to stand there. This told me I could have it. This is my land. Where is your vindication? I'll stand on this all day, every day. We can't give a little bit here and give a little bit there. We have to contend for it, how it was delivered. Oh, Brother Aaron, that's too old-fashioned. I didn't place the stone. You know, it doesn't even matter if I like it. God placed the stone there. God put the, put the landmark there. Not me. You know, and the devil may say, oh, I'm just wanting to move it just a little bit. He got Eve with one word. One word. She disbelieved one word. You can't move the landmark even a little bit. He got her to move it just a little bit, a little bit of reasoning, a little bit of wondering, a little bit too relaxed with the conversation she was having about the word. You can't relax. We have to contend. You have to be willing to fight. Listen, here's what I don't think people realize and what I'm trying to get across even this morning is his end game isn't to take your joy. His end game isn't to cause a little bit of rebellion in your home. His end game isn't just to keep you from speaking in tongues. That's not his end game. His end game is a total annihilation of you and what you believe and this bride that he sees standing on the earth. His end game is to wipe you out. His desire is total destruction. It is very serious. That's the end game. That's what he's pushing for. And there must come a recognition that it's not just a little thing. It's not just innocent. A recognition of what is it he's trying to do to me? What's he trying to do to my family? What's he trying to do to this church? What's he trying to do to the believers? He's trying to stop the rapture. He's trying to stop your victory. He's trying to stop you from possessing it. But this bride will not fall. She is predestinated not to fall. She's not like the other Eve. But she's going to recognize. She's going to withstand. She's going to be found standing at the landmarks defending them. Look, it's worth fighting for. If he said tongues, I'll fight for it. If he said be filled with the Holy Ghost, I'll fight for it. If he said the works that I do shall you do also, I'll fight for it. If he said men should dress one way and women should dress another way, I'll stand for it. I didn't put the stone there. Because there are those that want to move the stones. They want to move the landmarks. Jude said contend. This wasn't a friendly letter. He ain't worried about hurting Brother so-and-so's feelings. He said, fight. If they're in error, fight. If they're not where it's supposed to be, if they're preaching untruths, fight. Stand. Contend. Hosea 5 and 10 says, the princes of Judah were like them that removed the bound. Therefore, I will pour out my wrath upon them like water. They are like those that remove the bound. Bound here means the ancient landmarks. God has given them his law to be a fence about his own property. And yet they sacrilegiously broke through it. They set it aside. They've encroached even upon God's rights. They've trampled upon the distinction between good and evil. And the, and the sacred obligation of reason and equity and thinking. 
Because they were princes, they thought we can do whatever we want. They're the princes of Judah. We don't have to abide by that. That doesn't apply to us. And God lets them know quickly, it doesn't matter who you are. I set the landmarks. And because you've done this, I'm going to pour out my wrath upon you like water. There are those that will move the landmarks, which means there have to be those that will defend them. That'll stand and identify all that God has given and say, no, 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 that belongs to me. That's mine, and I'm not going to allow you to take it. This, this portion belongs to the bride. You can't take that away from us. Look, we're sitting here, we're, we're reading from the book of Jude, which was written in 66 AD. So we know that it was written during the first church age. Because that first church age extended from 53 AD all the way up to 170 AD. So we're here in the first church age. And, and knowing that they, they were the seed that was to be planted... And that in the last day, that seed comes forth and manifests what that seed was back to the original again. It would behoove us to see how the enemy attacked them. What worked against them? What brought them down? What is it that brought them down? Because what we see here is is we need to see where the attacks were laid and how they went from the church that was in the upper room. To where we see them over in Revelation, it says they're the cage of every unclean and hateful bird. How? What started that slide? What started that progression? Oh, Brother Aaron, that would never happen here. That would never happen in evening light tabernacle. That would never happen in this message. It happened in the first age. We're talking about the age of Paul. The age of Peter. We're talking about the age of Stephen. What an age. What people. What messages. The New Testament. It happened there. It happened in the very age that we're aspiring to be like. Oh, we're aspiring to be like them? Well, Brother Brown said, thus what the church was at Pentecost is the standard That is the pattern. He says there is no other pattern. And in the very pattern, Satan was able to worm his way in. Jude's writing only 33 years post-Pentecost. And he's having to tell the people, we got to get back to Pentecost. We got to get back to the upper room. He says we have to fight for what we used to have. And here we are in 2022, many, many, many years from that. But many, many years, even from the opening of the word, from this message that was delivered in its purity. And I'm saying we got to get back to the landmarks. We got to get back to the message the way it was delivered. We got to get back to the message in its power. We got to get back to the message in its dynamics and its mechanics. We got to get back the way it was presented to us. Not the way we think it should be or how it makes us comfortable. If you're comfortable, you're relaxed. And if you're relaxed, you're sliding. If you're sliding, you're on your way down. Just like the first age. You can't be relaxed. How was it delivered to us? You must defend the landmarks. You can't sit back and allow that same spirit that came in that first age so subtle. We can't sit back and let it rob our worship. Read the church age book. That's what it did. It made the worship cold and formal. It robbed the life out of the congregation. 
You can't sit back and allow it to rob your praise. Sit back and allow it to get even a little foothold. Church, it's all at stake. These aren't games. This isn't my church versus your church or preach this to rebuke this pastor. It has nothing to do with that. It's standing for truth. It's standing for righteousness. It's standing for the word. It's standing for the landmarks. It's all at stake. Your soul's at stake. Your kids are at stake. Your home's at stake. The rapture of the church is at stake. The landmarks matter. The truth matters. We can't give any of it. He says the time has come that God will gather his people together under one great big banner of the Lord Jesus Christ and pour out his powers among them. And great signs and wonders will take place. The time has come. The time has come for the Pentecostal church to make a stand. The time has come to circumcise the church and cull all this foolishness. The time has come to go back to the old landmark. The time has come for the outpouring. The time has come for the gathering of the people. The time has come for Jesus to come. The time will be here soon. Oh, someone else's. The time has come. We're at the end time. If we're ever going to do anything, brethren, we're going to do it now. The time is at hand. When should we stand, brother Aaron? Now's the time to stand. When should we fight? Now's the time to fight. You don't do it when you recognize, oh, we got to get back. You don't do it when you recognize, oh my goodness, we've become cold and formal. Oh my goodness, you do it when you see one little bitty thing. When you see that first sprout, when you hear that first word that's against, when you hear that first word that moves a landmark, when you hear that first word that robs your joy, that first word that robs your freedom to praise, that very first thing you stand up and you say, no, there's a landmark in the word. I can have it. I can have my peace. I can have my children. I can have my joy. I'm going to kill it now. I'm not going to wait. I'm going on the attack now. I'm a defender of the landmarks. I am a defender of the landmarks. Hallelujah. That first age started with so much zeal. It started with fire. It started in the upper room. There were signs and wonders and the power of God was undeniable. But slowly they became relaxed. We know the name Ephesus actually means aimed at and relaxed. We must guard against relaxing. I'm not telling you you're out sinning. We're not talking about that. I'm telling you you got to guard against relaxing. For letting down your guard for even a minute. We have to guard against it. Listen, had Paul still been on the scene, he'd have cried out against it. He said, when I'm off the scene, wolves are going to come in. He already knew. Had Peter still been there, he'd have cried out against it. Had the other apostles still been on earth, they would have cried out against it. They would have recognized it. But a generation rose up that wasn't part of the upper room. A generation rose up that the upper room was just stories. This is what God did. This is what he did at Pentecost. Instead of writing their own book of Acts, instead of continuing the book of Acts, a generation rose up and they looked back at the upper room as a good story. They looked back at the healing revivals of the 50s and 60s as a good story. They looked back as Azusa Street now as something that they don't even want. I'm sorry, God thought it needed restoring. I guess he let you know that he was just kidding. He restored it, but you don't need it? That's odd. They just look back. They look back. 
and they never experienced it for themselves. It came in so simple. They relaxed. It came in so innocent. Brother Brown speaks of all these things in the church age book. You know, they probably presented it to the people as this is more balanced. We need, we need a balance to this. And slowly, they toned the worship down. Man began to control the way the services were instead of the spirit controlling it. He says, oh, it started so small, so quietly, so inoffensively. It looked so good. He's talking about to the believers. It looked good. It looked right. It seemed so sound. Then it caught a hold. And like a python, it squeezed out the very breath and killed all the spirituality there was in the church. My, how from this pulpit and many other pulpits across the country, we've cried out against it over and over and over. We're not the only ones. There's many, many standing and crying out against it. Don't let yourself become cold. Don't let the church become formal. And there's going to continue to be a cry that goes out. We're going to continue to cry out against it. Why? Because the Spirit's trying to choke the life out of you. There's men on the watchtower and they see what's happening. They see the Spirit trying to creep in. You, you know, why constantly? Why constantly? Why constantly? The Spirit is knocking at the door. Death lies at the door and it's wanting you to get comfortable. It's wanting you to relax. It's wanting you to go service after service. It's okay if the Spirit didn't move. It's okay. Wow, we heard some good word. And you get comfortable and you get relaxed. And soon that becomes the norm. And an outpouring of the Holy Ghost becomes something just special that happens once a year. That's not how I want my church. But it's how the devil wants it. Surely, Brother Aaron, in our ranks and amongst our people, there really aren't that many pushing for formalism and pushing these things that you warn of. It's not about how many. It isn't about pushing back against certain preachers. That has nothing to do with it. And if that is anything in in my motive, then God forgive me. It has nothing to do about pushing back against certain preachers. It's about that spirit that's trying to worm its way in. It's about that spirit trying to get a hold once again. It saw what worked in the first age. It saw what worked there. And it says, oh, this will get them. Formality. Coldness. Oh, let's just focus on the word. Focus on the mechanics. Focus, focus, and you're lulled to sleep. And next thing you know, the spirituality in the church is gone. Man has a tendency to relax. A tendency to get too comfortable and slowly drift from that zeal. And in so doing, others come in and they begin to move the landmarks. It came so subtle to that first age, but it didn't take long until that age was completely unrecognizable. That's what he wants at evening like tabernacle. Unrecognizable. Brother Branham says, repent quickly. Don't hesitate. Evidently, Ephesus did hesitate. For her lifespan was not very long. The glory of God decreased ever so rapidly. It was not long until the city was in ruins. Its glorious temple became a shapeless mass. The land became a marsh inhabited by waterfowl. The population was gone except for a few unbelievers in the village. There was not one Christian left. Ephesus? Ephesus? 
there was not one Christian left. Unrecognizable. Just a story of what happened at Ephesus. Just a story of what they used to believe in Ephesus. And from this point on, the stones began to be moved. The landmark slowly began to move a little here and move a little there. The landmark of baptism in the name of Jesus Christ would go on for 300 years. 300 years from the book of Acts till Nicaea Council. Christians were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. You can look it up yourself. It's not something I'm making up. It's not a pet doctrine. 300 years. Matter of fact, you can't find one person in the Bible not baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not one. But you get 300 years down and Rome takes that that landmark and says, we're going to move it. And how did they move it? According to scripture. They took a scripture and used that scripture to move the landmark. Listen, it doesn't matter how long ago it was that they done away with it. It doesn't matter how long or how many people get baptized in that name and that way in those titles. It will never be the scriptural landmark that that God put in the word. They can do it for thousands upon thousands upon thousands of years and it'll never change what God said. Peter there given the keys to the kingdom. He comes out of the upper room just been filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost. One of the greatest events recorded in the Bible. He comes down and he's asked a question. How are we to be saved? How many would like to know how to be saved? I think that's all of our hearts. And he says, repent every one of you and be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. And the promise is unto you and to your children and to those that are afar off. Brother Branham said that meant the Gentiles. That's the promise for you. Be baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. They can change it to titles. They can move the landmark where they want. I'll stand right here where the word of God placed it and I'll defend the landmark of baptism. The truth of the Godhead was moved. The landmark of justification was moved. The landmark of sanctification was moved. And in their place came man-made creeds and man-made dogmas. Proper worship in spirit and truth was moved. The property stolen from the believers. The supernatural moving of the spirit amongst the people was moved. And they set up their own landmark to where God only spoke through the priesthood. He says, all right, what was the spiritual climate of that church? It had left its first love. Leaving its first love of the word of God was revealed to us as having fallen from its origin, which was Pentecost. In plain English, that means this church was in danger of being taken away from the leading of the Holy Spirit. The control of the Spirit. That false vine was getting a hold and it was teaching that rulership by man was right. It taught that the church had to be governed. It taught a control over the people. But instead of doing it God's way, they simply took authority, invested all the spiritual power in their own hands, and came out with a holy priesthood standing between God and the people. He says, and even right today, among those who claim to be free and full of the spirit, there is not too much freedom in the laity. That would be you. 
And the best we can see is a few preachers with inspired preaching while the flock just sits there and tries to absorb it. Now, I'm not saying it's you as in it's your fault. That's not what I meant. I'm saying what they did was they took it away so much and they withhold the freedom from the laity. They hold it to themselves. And if somebody starts to get loose a little bit, no, 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 no. You know, the, you know why the devil's so afraid of screaming and shouting? I read something the other day. I, I liked it. It's not spiritual at all. But I made it spiritual. <laughs> Just being honest. I was reading about a battle in the Civil War. And some of these Yankees, bless their heart, they was writing about the rebel yell. And they said it sent chills up your spine. They said it put fear into your heart. And the guy said, what was it about the sound? He said, the sound didn't have nothing to do with it. He said, it's because we knew what came after. (laughs) Woo, let somebody get loose in church. Let a shout go forth. Let a scream go out. The devil ain't scared of your shout. He ain't scared of your scream. But he knows what's coming after. He knows there's freedom. He knows there's healing. He knows there's deliverance. He's afraid of what's coming after. I say let him know I'm coming I'm coming I'm coming for my kids I'm coming for the rapture I'm coming Hallelujah Glory to God He's worried about what comes after Woo Glory I liked it too It all started so innocent Brother Aaron, why you cry out against these things? Is it really that big a deal? Yes, it's a big deal. The church was given boundaries drawn by God. The word of God laid down certain landmarks and we're not at liberty to move them. No more than the children of Israel were at liberty to move those stones. Cursed is the man. These are not only lines that denote what is yours, but there's also lines of separation. That gets sticky, brother Aaron. Okay, it's truth. There are lines of separation that are not to be blurred and they're not to be moved. Don't give up an inch. Contend. Keep it in your heart. Contend. Fight for those landmarks. We have to contend for the established landmarks of the word or we will be destroyed. Look, I, I keep trying to get the seriousness of it to you. He's not just trying to make you a backslider. He's not just trying to get... He wants to destroy you. All those countries around Israel, and we'll get to that later, they don't just want a little piece of their land. They want them wiped off the face of the earth. And the attitude towards physical Israel is the same as towards spiritual Israel. He wants to destroy you. If you give up anything, you will be unrecognizable in one generation. I tell you again, death is at the door. Of evening light time, death is at the door. I'm going to tell you the same way Peter told Sapphira. said the same ones that carried your husband out are at the door right now to carry you out. The same one that took down that first age, if you open the door to him, he's waiting to take you down. He's waiting to carry you out. These ain't games. We can't let down the bar on anything. Listen, there's a landmark of holiness in the scripture. Of how we're to act, of how we're to dress, how we're to keep our hair. It's a landmark. 
you got to be willing to stand for it. It doesn't matter how unpopular it is. It doesn't matter how mad it makes people. I can't help it. The Bible says a woman should have uncut hair and a man should have cut hair. I didn't make the landmark. He did. Are you willing to stand and defend it? Defenders of the landmarks? Oh, come on. It's easy to, ooh, I want to defend all these things that make us jump and shout. Ooh, I'll def- what about the things that are difficult to tell other people about? To witness about when you're asking the store? Well, why? Because the Bible says... Listen, there's still to be a very stark difference and a definite line between the church and the world. The world should be able to look at you, not talk to you, look at you and know there's a Christian. They don't fit in. They're swimming against the stream. They're going in the opposite direction. There's something about them that stands out. Romans 12, 2, and be not conformed to this world. But ye, be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. This literally means don't let the world mold you. Don't be like the world. They should see a stark difference. Brother Brown would cry out against it. He says, you men, you young boys with some of these little painted up Jezebels the same way. You shouldn't do that. Shame on the pastors that fail to say that in their church. We are called out, separated, different people, sanctified to the Lord in Israel. Yes, sir, we know the landmarks. They're wrote right here, a plain view of it, but we're just tossed about. He's pointing back to scriptural landmarks about hair, about dress, about women preachers. And he's told, if you don't stop doing that, you're going to ruin your ministry. And I love his response. He says, say, you're going to ruin your ministry. Well, any ministry that the gospel will ruin ought to be ruined. God, give us boldness to stand for what's truth and tell the truth about it. It's a sin. It's a disgrace. It's still a sin. It's still a disgrace. And people got to be willing to stand for the truth. Started so innocent in that age. But now the landmarks are moved. The truths of God's words are now lost to creeds and dogmas of man. And down through the ages, the landmarks get moved further and further and further to where it's unrecognizable. It would seem a horrible situation. But I will restore, saith the Lord. He didn't just leave it be. That seed had to go into the ground. Can't you see why we had to have a prophet come? Can't you see why there had to be a Malachi 4 to turn our hearts back to the original faith? We didn't know what the original faith was. It was unrecognizable. It had been lost. Somebody had to come. They could tie up the loose ends and point back to Pentecost and say, that's where he wants you. That's where we go. That's where we're headed. Back to the original faith. It had been so far removed. It was unrecognizable. But God moved in Luther and the landmark of justification is restored. And God moves in Wesley and the landmark of sanctification is restored. And then God moves in Azusa Street. And the landmark of gifts in the body is restored. Then in 1947, an angel visits a prophet. At the exact same time, Israel's becoming a nation. These things are not coincidence. Spiritual Israel, physical Israel. Loose hands are being tied up. Messages going forth. Landmarks are being restored until once again, there's a people in the land restored back to the land of the word. Not the land of man's thinking. Not the land of a denomination or the land of a creed or the land of a dogma. The land of God's word. The Godhead is put back in place. 
baptisms put back in place, predestination, original sin, church ages, seven seals, what was ours, what belongs to us is properly placed, what belongs to Israel is properly placed, worship and spirit and truth is properly placed, the tribulation in the church is put where it's supposed to be, the rapture in the bride is put where it's supposed to be. And once again, there's a people standing where the exact same first church stood and Satan looks and he goes, hold on boys. I recognize this. I've seen this before. This ain't something to toy with. And he begins to see the same word that Paul preached being preached again. And he sees the same power that cast him out in the New Testament casting him out again. He sees the power of the word changing lives. He sees the spirit moving. He recognizes this is that. He recognizes it more than most people can. He says, this is that original returned back again. But I know how I got them last time. And he begins to use some of the same tactics again. Formalism. Questioning the supernatural. Questioning the authority of the word. Calling everything a worked up emotion. Cold worship with no feeling. And slowly that snake is squeezing again. Slowly that snake is squeezing again. The cycle of revival and death has never failed. Until now. Until now. Because this seed isn't made, isn't predestined to go down into the earth. That's already happened. But this wheat is going to be harvested. This wheat's going in the garner. This wheat's going in a rapture. He took down every other one. Down through the ages, down through the ages, down through the ages. But when he grabs a hold of this one, just like when he stuck his finger there in Christ at Calvary, he got a hold of a million watt line. He got a shock he wasn't expecting. And he comes to you with formalism. And he thinks you're just going to go with it. And he comes to you with doubt. And he thinks you're just going to go with it. But somebody stands up and says, no, sir. Not today. I'm a defender of the landmarks. I'll have freedom. I'll have the Holy Ghost. I'll have a refilling. If I need another one, I'll have a refilling. My kids can have it. You can have it. Them that are far off can have it. We are defenders. Hallelujah. Defenders of the landmarks. That cycle has never failed until now. Because the bride recognizes it's a lie. He says, I'm not going to let you steal it. This is for my family. This is for my church. Listen, the elect can't be deceived. She's going to recognize it. She's going to return to the landmarks. And she's going to defend the landmarks. It's not just a return to return. I, I don't care if you run around this church so much that you run a marathon. If you miss the rapture, what was the point? It's not just a return just to get the gifts. That's not the point. It's a return to rapture. It's a return to the rapturing faith. That church had it. Why didn't they rapture? Because they had to go into the ground so that it could produce a crop. It had no choice. It was predestined to. That's one thing we don't necessarily like to say is we're predestined not to fall. They had no choice but to go into the ground. It was predestined to happen. Those landmarks were to remain undisturbed. They were not to be encroached upon, not only in that generation, but throughout their generations to come. 
And when God establishes a landmark, it is to remain. And yet, as we said, Satan begins to use the same tactics, and it's looking innocent, and it's looking so small. That's why we defend with such urgency. That's why across the land, we stand for all the word. That's why we stand for the moving of the spirit, for altar calls, for prayer lines, for gifts and operations, because we can't give up even one piece of the land that we have returned to. And you say, aren't there other things that you should defend? Absolutely. Then why are you constantly focusing on that? You know, people want to say, you know, it's a minor. Not even going to get into that. That's fine. It's a minor. But is it part of God's word? Then it is a landmark. And my point is, the reason we're always on that is that is where the attack has come. Do you understand? That's where the attack is. Why are you constantly talking about the moving of the spirit? Why are you constantly? We don't have that problem here. Okay, that's fine. But that is where the attack is. That is where Satan has aimed his darts. That is where he has aimed his war machine. That's where he's coming, trying to bring formalism. That is what people are slowly giving into. And so, therefore, that is what we are crying out against. That's where the attack has been. And sometimes it's subtle, sometimes not so subtle. How long would it take? How long would it take if we allowed these things to go unchecked and unchallenged before we would be unrecognizable just as Ephesus was? Be a lot quicker than what you'd think. Not a Christian left. That blows my mind. How long would it take until the power of God would be just a story that used to happen at Evening Light Tabernacle? To where it was something that those people that used to go here once had. Before it was the faith that was once delivered. How long does it take? How long before the church is it used to be? How long before a church full of power, full of the power of God becomes a church with stories about the power of God? You know what I believe. I don't believe in bashing other churches. I don't believe in bashing anybody. This isn't to bash. I'm just going to give you some history, okay? I've always been one that believes if what you have is so great, you can focus on what you have and not what others don't. That's what I believe. So this is just a little history, okay? Bear with me. Life Tabernacle of Shreveport. Y'all all know about it if you listen to the message at all. Look what happened there. Look at the meetings that took place in Shreveport. I'll just name a few of the messages preached by Malachi 4 in Shreveport. The token. Investments. The countdown. Invisible union. On the wings of a snow white dove. I could go on and on and on. And they sit there dead. William Branham, a name not even hardly known by anybody in the congregation. Whispered maybe about how he got off. I found one of their websites the other day. It was very interesting. I loved it actually. Where they were all posting pictures of things that have happened in that congregation since like the 40s. You'd be shocked at how many pictures of Brother Branham are in there. And people asking, who's that? Who's the guy on the left? What? One generation. Who's the the shorter guy? Next to Brother Jack Moore there. What? Are you serious? 
Yeah. Very serious. It doesn't take long. It doesn't take long at all. Till people are like, did, did God used to move in that place? Was God part of that family? It seems like I remember they were believers. It seems like I remember they used to go to church. I think the power of God used to move there. Yeah, I've heard that. Seems like they used to have some good services. The first age lasted 120 years. Gone. Not one Christian left. But it came in so unassuming. So innocent. Why do you constantly cry out? Because that spirit would have you dead and unrecognizable in a matter of years. It's worth crying out about. It's worth standing on that landmark and crying out against it. The spirit that wants to make you cold and formal comes in so subtle. It wants to move the landmark of worship, move the landmark of gifts, move the landmark of an Acts 2 experience, move the landmark of holiness. Tells you just accept the message. Sing a few songs, don't get too excited. You've seen the word, you're good. For a tribulation. Don't get too excited. Doesn't really matter about the length of your skirts and how tight your shirts are. It's okay here. Listen, we got to quit worrying about what's going on in denominations and in other. This ain't a them problem. I'm talking to you. This is a us problem. This ain't about where they didn't do or what they didn't do. God bless them for what they do. That's where I'm at. This is a us. This is us at Kadesh. In other words, when they were at Kadesh, the dispute wasn't with Egypt anymore, Brother Joe. Pharaoh wasn't keeping them from going into the promised land. It was them. It was their unbelief. It was their doubts. The problem was in their camp. And the thing is, those that actually believed all the word and wanted to take the promises made the other ones really mad at them. Made them very mad at them. And the thing is, <laughs> they, would, they would never say it out loud or even recognize I don't believe that there's a many today in our ranks that want to go back. I didn't expect many amens there. That's okay. And when I say our ranks, I mean the ranks of the message. It's okay. They want to go back. Just like the congregation of Egypt, uh, Israel longed for Egypt. Many today long to a return of a denominational life, a place with no victory, a place where lukewarm is accepted, a place where they can live how they want, put, they want, put what they want on their face, where they can marry and remarry, where church attendance isn't blasted, where their sins will be tolerated. Numbers 14, 3. And wherefore hath the Lord brought us unto this land, so to fall by the sword, that our wives and our children should be a prey. Were it not better for us to return into Egypt? And they said one to another, let us make a captain and let us return to Egypt. And they'll find them a preacher to do it for them. Sure. And they might not ever go back in name. They'll start their own little message church. Oh, yeah, yeah. It'll be a message church. And they'll, and they'll find a preacher that'll preach half the word, but he won't preach on holiness. 
He'll quote a few uh, 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 messages and, and say Brother Branham's name and preach on Jesus, but he ain't going to preach about a real conversion at the altar, about changing your life, about the full word he'll pick and choose. He'll pick half the word here and half the word denominational life. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of the children of Israel. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, which were of them that searched the land, rent their clothes. This kind of attitude makes the real believer go into prayer. It makes them go into a place of desperation and say, we can't accept that. We can't accept that cold formal religion. We can't accept going back to a denominational life. We can't accept going back. And they become desperate and they begin to cry out. If the Lord delight in us, shall he bring us into this land and give it us a land which floweth with milk and honey. Only rebel not ye against the Lord, neither fear ye the people of the land. For they are bred for us, their defense is departed from them, and the Lord is with us, fear them not. And the congregation bade stone them with stones. And the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of the congregation before all the children of Israel. Listen, there's people that don't want to take the land. They don't want the Holy Ghost. And it crept in so slow that they don't even recognize it. And they look just like any other church. Listen, it is a landmark. You must be born again. That's just how it is. It's a landmark. You must receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. You must repent of your own ideas, of your own thoughts. We didn't make the landmarks, but we are to defend them. He says, but today our men and women are getting away from that. They're getting away from the old-fashioned landmarks we used to go by. You ought to get back to that old Pentecostal landmark. What you need here in this valley is an old-fashioned, God-sent, sky-blue, sin-killing religion. The power of the gospel back in the churches again. Back through the blood of the Lord Jesus into the fellowship by relationship. By being born of the Holy Spirit. Entering into the Pentecostal Shekinah. Amen. I'm not beside myself. I know where I'm at. Oh, but brother, sister, to get caught away into that Shekinah glory where it's just you and God alone are standing fellowshipping that's the only approach I know of ever since Israel was returned to the land and officially they officially became a nation 1948 because there were different proposals and things rejected in 1947 by the UN council but they're officially a nation 1948 but ever since they've returned they've had to fight for their very existence They've had to defend their borders and their landmarks at all costs. Because they understand that the enemy even putting a foot on their land is cause for concern. Not only concern, but to go on the offensive and go on the attack. They can't give up anything. They can't give up anything. They can't blow an encroachment of the enemy into their property as no big deal. Because Israel knows what it's like to be destroyed. Israel knows what it's like to lose the land. They know what the enemy wants to do. Holocaust. They understand this ain't just about taking your joy. They understand this ain't about you just living a little below your privileges. He wants to wipe you off the face of the earth. Israel understands that. And the enemy for years now has been attacking and destroying Jewish cultural sites. Now there's some things here I want you to catch hold of. Look at it in a spiritual sense. 
been attacking and destroying Jewish landmarks. Now that would seem like no big deal. It's just a historical site. There are no human casualties. They're not even attacking humans. They're attacking ancient landmarks, cultural historical sites. But what ISIS and groups uh, like the Palestinian coalitions have learned is that these landmarks give legitimacy to the Jewish culture and the Jewish claim that the land is theirs. That landmark gives a legitimate claim that the Jews can say, no, this was ours. This belonged to us before it belonged to you. We were here first. It gives them a claim to the land. It says it gives the legitimacy to their very right to exist in that region. I'm going to read a few of this, a few of these. Because the enemy claims that the land doesn't belong to them and never was theirs, but the landmarks prove otherwise. ISIS justifies the destruction of cultural heritage sites by Salafism. I don't know what that means. Which, according to its followers, places great importance on establishing Tawid, which means monotheism. Thus, there is an ideological underpinning to their destruction of historical and cultural heritage, which is trying to destroy the, destroy the cultural heritage of the region in an attempt to wipe the slate clean and rewrite history in their own image. Therefore, Jewish communities are destroyed and lose the material remains of their culture as a testimony to their very existence. You could walk in life tabernacle right now and most of them would not know that stuff took place. Wiped clean. You go to Ephesus, not a Christian left. Wiped clean. He's trying to take your landmarks because those landmarks give you a right to exist. Those landmarks give legitimacy to why you're in the land. They prove that the land belongs to you. It says, if anyone still has doubts about the Palestinian Authority's determination to erase all traces of Israel's ancient Jewish heritage, simply put, hundreds of cherished Jewish sites in the land of Israel, which have survived the Romans, the Byzantines, the Arabs, the Crusaders, Mameluke and the Ottoman occupation are now being systematically destroyed right under our noses by the Palestinians. Says the report, which has not received widespread attention, says that 289 sites, which represent a whopping 80% of those surveyed, have been damaged and destroyed. These include sites dating back to the biblical times, as well as those from the Second Temple, Herodian, and the Hasmonean periods. Listen, there can be no doubt what Satan wants. You can't be half-hearted about this word. You can't be half-hearted about defending what belongs to you. You can't be half-hearted about any of it, any part, because it's our inheritance. It proves who we are. It shows that we're in the land. But he wants a repeat of the first age aimed at, but relaxed. Says the Palestinian Authority recently seized control of Teleroma and brought in heavy engineering equipment and paved a road right over parts of the ruins thereby causing inestimable damage, adding insult to injury. They then had the gall to hold a formal ceremony and declare the palace, which was built by the descendants of the Maccabees, to be a Palestinian heritage site. Not only is it not yours, he says, 
It's mine. Adam lost the position. I took it. Man fell. I took it. Not only can you not have it, but it's mine. Satan, I'd like to remind you, Adam did fall. I'll agree with you there. But there was a kinsman redeemer that came on Calvary. And Brother Branham said that day on Calvary, he stripped Satan of every right he ever had and returned all the blessings right back into the hands of man. And I'm going to stand and fight for him. You can say it's yours all you want, but there are landmarks that prove this land is mine. I've defended them. I've stood on them. I'm still standing on them. This land is mine. This land is yours. You can have all of it, but you got to fight for it. You got to recognize what he's doing. You got to stand and say, not today, Satan. You won't take this land. You won't take this ground. You can't have it. I am a defender of the landmarks hallelujah a defender of the landmarks it's an attack on the landmarks and Israel has to fight every day and their motto is never again never again never again will they be driven from their homeland Never again will they give up what God has given them. They have taken a stand, and so must we. Amen. 120 years of the first age, not a Christian left in Ephesus. How short a time it takes for something to be lost. It's only a memory of what happened there. He doesn't just want your worship, church, He doesn't just want the gifts. He wants you to give up a landmark. He wants a way in so that in a short time, there'll be no remembrance of what you were. What was yours? What God did? How God moved? Tell a little story, a history story. I know some of y'all are shocked. There was a Greek by the name of Xenophon. History considers him a great man. He was a philosopher. He was a general he was an author, educated under Socrates. So he's one of those guys that in that realm, they really look up to. Uh, he lived a very interesting life. He was a mercenary. And um, he was part of 10,000 mercenaries that were hired by Cyrus the Younger uh, to overthrow his older brother, Artaxerxes II, in, in the kingdom of Persia. Long story short, things didn't go good. All the leaders got killed. There was some rebellion. They thought they were surrendering. Everybody gets slaughtered. And the remain, not everybody, the leaders, most of these 10,000 are still alive. And they vote. Um, they vote to have new leaders. And Xenophon becomes voted the general. So here he is in the middle of Persia. And his goal is get his home alive. Back to Greece. If I didn't make that clear. And so on his journeys, he writes all about it. And he details it. Because he was a great writer. And so there's a lot of details that, that he puts in there. And it's known as the Persian Expedition. And I'm sorry if this bores you. It, it, it absolutely astounded me. And Xenophon talks about traveling through what is now modern day Iraq. And they had no food. They had no supplies. They, they could only live off what they were able to win through force or uh, diplomacy. And they're pushing through. And they end up coming to this place. In his own words, says, we marched one stage, six parasangs, to a great stronghold, deserted and lying in ruins. 
The foundation of its wall was made of polished stone full of shells. And it was 50 feet in breadth and 50 feet in height. Upon this foundation was a wall of brick. So it's already 50 foot. Then upon this foundation is a wall of brick. 50 feet thick and 100 feet in height. And the circuit of the wall was six parasangs or 21 miles. This is a city with 150 foot walls, 50 foot thick and 21 miles around and it's deserted. And his writings would detail how he went around trying to figure out where am I? What is this? No one knows. No one even knows who built it. No one even knows who inhabited it. It's history, it's culture, the things it stood for, the things it fought for, gone. To the point that there's nothing. He gives, he makes up a name. He literally is just like, we're going to call it this. To prove that his writings were true, the general that was chasing him also details this city because he's camped on the other side. You know what it was? It was the Assyrian capital of Nineveh. And when God says something's going to fall, it falls, buddy. (laughs) Nineveh, the center of the great Assyrian empire. One of the greatest empires this world has ever known. But when the Babylonians and the Medes came in and destroyed it, they didn't just want to conquer it. They had been treated very poorly by the Assyrians. And so they wiped out everything. They wiped out everybody. They wiped out every record. To where here they are. And the astounding part about this was this is only 200 years from when it fell. We're not talking about a city thousands of years old. It was 200 years. It would be like 200 years from now, somebody walking into New York City and going, Who built this? What happened here? He would describe this place as something much greater than anything they could ever build in Greece. What happened? They gave a little ground here. The enemy took a little ground there. Soon the enemy pushed through and got this landmark. And then the enemy pushed through and got that landmark. And pretty soon, their intent wasn't just to take a few landmarks. Their intent was to wipe them out. Their intent was to totally destroy them. How quick? And he attacks the landmarks. And he attacks the places where God moved. And then he says, was it ever really yours? Did those things ever really happen? but I know it happened because this message ripped the seals open and I saw my name there. I saw my name on the book. He can say what he wants. He can claim what he wants, but that landmark's mine. The Holy Ghost is mine. Joy is mine. My children is mine. Hallelujah. I won't let coldness come in. I won't let formalism come in. I won't give up one landmark. I am a defender of the landmarks. I'm a defender. There's a 
Will you stand? Will you fight? Will you defend? Will you go forward? I'm not going to let coldness come in. I'm not going to let formalism come in. I'm going to defend it all. I'm going to have it all. God gave it to me. God placed the landmark. Man didn't. Man has no right to tell me what I can have. Man can't take my joy. Man can't take my praise. Man can't take my Holy Ghost. Man can't take none of it. It's God given. I'm blood bought, blood washed, son of the living God. The seals are open. The message has come. It's yours, little bride. It's yours. Take the land. Defend the land. Defend the landmarks today. Hallelujah. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Musicians, you can come. Hallelujah. This is your promise. This is my promise. I will fight for my freedom of worship. I will fight for the baptism of the Holy Ghost. I will fight for divine healing. I will fight for my children. I will fight for my families. I will fight for the rapture. We got to bear down, church. We got to bear down and protect the land. Defend the landmarks to him that overcometh. To him that overcometh. Somebody's going to overcome. Somebody's going to take a rapture. Brother Branham says, if I can find it, and we're, we're done. So we noticed that Jehoshaphat had seen the results from that kind of a life. He'd seen the results from his father when he served the Lord, then when he didn't serve the Lord. So all of that together and taking it under consideration, Jehoshaphat purposed in his heart to serve the Lord and to cling to the things that his father David did at the beginning. I like that, at the beginning. The Bible said, in other words, he went back to the old landmark and then they cleaned out the rows. It would be good for us, Pentecost, to go back to the old landmark. It would be good for us to go back to the old landmarks and clean out the rows. What would happen today? I suppose mostly of you Pentecostal people here this afternoon, what would happen if actually the church went back to the old landmark? You talk about a cleaning up. There'd really be one around the Pentecostal church. It sure would. How many knows that's the truth? Why, sure it is. There'd certainly be a reformation going on, how people would be acting different, dressing different, talking different. Oh, it'd it'd just be altogether a different church if we went back to the old landmark where we started from. Now, so then God blessed him. God will bless anyone who'll go back to the old landmark of the Bible and start from the Bible, not according to theology, some man-made theology, but from true Bible theology and start at the old landmark and move up. God will move with you. So God began to bless Jehoshaphat. And the first thing you know, he began to prosper him and he built up garrisons so that these uncircumcised could not come in. And that's what the church needs today is a garrison of the old time apostolic teaching. So this lukewarm, formal, in and out, up and down doesn't get into our church. What did I say? That's right, though. That's right. We've permitted too many things to creep in, brethren. Too many things that we left the old landmark and we're letting things begin to creep in. He said we never garrisoned the church. And now we got everything in it. That's right. All the isms and hisms and everything else in the church because we never garrisoned the word. What's he saying? Surround it. Surround it. Defend it. Protect it. Garrison the landmarks. Garrison the word. Back to the landmarks today, evening like tabernacle. Back to the Holy Ghost. 
Back to landmarks in your life. Back to the landmarks in your home. Back to landmarks in your children. Back to applying the token. Back to a prayer life. Back to prayer meetings. Back to an upper room experience. Back to your first love. Back to the word. He says, God help us to have that type of a credential today. And let's contend for the faith. The true faith that was once delivered to the saints. The saints believed in the death, burial, and resurrection. They believed in the baptism of the Holy Spirit. The early church believed it. Do you believe it? He said, then let's contend for it. God bless you, church. Contend for it. Be brave.